Hi, this is Liz. I created a Facebook page called All About You, an Adopted Child Story. And if you want to pop in over there and join up with us and you can start a discussion, you can talk about what you like about the book. You can talk about similar experiences you've had in your own life. I also have an Instagram. It's Liz Butler Duran, where you can also see pictures from the book. But if you want to see all the pictures from the book, you can follow my Patreon, All About You, an Adopted Child Story. Also, if you just want to hear this whole book, and not wait week to week, head on over to the Patreon and the audiobook is for sale and you can download it immediately and finish the book today. Also, if you're one of those readers who wants a book in their hand, head on over to Amazon. My book is available in paperback and on Kindle. It's easiest to find it because Amazon is a huge source. So it's easiest to search Liz Butler Duran in your Amazon search bar and it'll pop right up for you. And until next week, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a little review on the Apple or the Spotify or wherever you're enjoying this podcast. All About You is a memoir. I have tried to recreate events, locales, and conversations from my memories of them. In order to maintain their anonymity in some instances, I have changed the names of individuals and places. I may have changed some identifying characteristics and details, such as physical properties, occupations, and places of residence. This episode speaks on the subject of suicide and crisis. If you or anyone you know is struggling, please know that there are people that can help you. The Suicide Crisis Lifeline helpline is available 24 hours if you text 988. And please, please take care. Chapter 12. You say it best when you say nothing at all. Whenever I was alone in the house, I snooped through drawers and looked into private places in my parents' room, hoping to find the smoking gun, the adoption papers, that would be great, or the name of a secret doctor who has those patients that need to quietly give away their children to loving families in desperate need, a photograph? Yes, that would be a miracle. I spent hours on the phone working out these theories with my best friend Lydia. She was hot on the trail with me, the George Fane to my Nancy Drew. She was the one who lit the fire and stoked it until it was too hot to let alone any longer. I was sitting in the hallway by my bedroom, painting my toenails a bright red and talking to Lydia on my green trimline phone. My face was already burning from being on the phone so long with her, and the light-up keypad was scorching my face. I switched ears. Mom will never let me come over. She says I've been spending too much time away and I need to stay home. Are you kidding me? She replied. I'm so bored. What does she want you to be doing? I don't know. Nothing. She's just so frustrating. She doesn't like to do anything, so I can't either. Another reason why you're adopted. Yes, I laughed. (laughs) If only we could prove it. They never go anywhere often enough for me to get a good look around. What did you find the last time? Anything good? She asked, chomping on something crunchy. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think everything is at Daddy's office. Do you have a key? I'm not breaking into the office, Lydia. There's no way. Then finally, she had a brilliant plan. Why don't you just ask them? Lydia said. Where have you been? I would have rolled my eyes, but I was carefully painting my pinky toe, and it's so small. I tried that many times over the years. Aren't you listening? I know. So this time, you have to do it differently. How? Stand on my head? It's not working like that. Liz, you need to make them think you already know the truth. Tell them that you've heard this from somebody's parents. Well, that seemed too easy. (laughs) That could not possibly work. 
could it? I decided to try this out on Daddy the same night. I felt like I could talk to him. It wasn't something we did very often, so there wasn't a lot of background for exactly how to do this. What if I was right after all? This could get emotional. We didn't do emotion in my family. At this time of my life, my father had said he loved me once. My mother, never. It was after a particularly moving episode of Little House on the Prairie. A daughter had gotten lost from her father, and the reunion scene was very moving. I got up to go to bed when the show was over and was almost out the door when he said it. His voice cracked with emotion. I was so frozen in my tracks, I didn't even turn around. I set it back and ran up to my room. I never forgot that. Many years later, I was alone in my bedroom, getting dressed for my father's funeral. I wondered if I should bother with putting on eye makeup. After all, I just cried off, and there was no need to look worse than I already did, or felt. In this moment of sheer grief, I felt I could not bear the quiet around me. I grabbed the remote control and turned on the television, hoping some noise would soothe me. The television, at that moment, was playing that very episode of Little House on the Prairie. Dad was alone in his garden, his happy place, tending the vegetables he grew every year with such pride. I walked out there and said, Hey, Daddy, I have to ask you a question. He paused in his work, leaned on his hoe, and looked at me. Sure. What is it? Do it, Liz. Just say it. Was I adopted? My hands were shaking, so I put them in the pockets of my shorts. My heart was beating in my ears, not because I thought he would just spontaneously answer the question. It was the follow-up that was bubbling inside of me. Now, why are you asking me this? He said. That was a new response. Well, Mrs. Smith seems to think so. I regretted this the moment I said it. Not because I wasn't dying to know if this time my ploy would actually work, but because I saw the instant wound on my father's sweet face, as if I had just shoved him a little on the chest, the slightest of movements, followed by a deflation in his posture. A long, tired sigh escaped from him. Well, yes, you are. Boom. I got what I wanted. There it was. I couldn't believe it. All the years of asking and being told no, being lied to. They lied to me. This was my big moment, my victory, my time to scream, I knew it! Fall to my knees in the garden, dirt like Scarlett O'Hara, ripping a carrot out of the garden and shaking it violently at the sky. I will never be ignorant again! Then I saw the tears in my daddy's eyes. He was as hurt as I was. Well... I don't know what he was feeling. Was it hurt? Was it disappointment? Whatever it was, I was cut off at the knees. I couldn't rejoice. I had to quickly put that aside and fix what I had just done. This was not what I anticipated. I had heard no, no, no for so long. I never thought it would feel this way. I had nowhere to put everything I was feeling. I had never seen my dad cry. So I said, Well then, I'm sure glad they gave me to you. And I hugged him. And we cried a little. But that was weird. We didn't cry in my family, and hugging was non-existent. So it was awkward. 
I patted him on the back a bit to break up the moment, and I turned and walked away. It was a long walk, a half an acre, to get back to the house. I kept my head down and watched my bright red toenails stepping through blades of grass that felt like a thousand tiny snake tongues licking my bare feet. And I never looked back. Not once. My father and I didn't speak of this moment again for over a year. Chapter 13 Oh, what a tangled web we weave. I spent the next year talking about it a lot, just not with my parents. I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I had nowhere to go. There was nothing in the phone book under, You just had the rug pulled out from under you, now what? No pamphlet for me this time. There was no 12-step program. I was really all alone with these feelings and didn't know what to do. I felt betrayed, but then I felt guilty for feeling that way. I was angry, and then I was so sad. I tried to talk to my friends, but it was hard for them to feel what I was feeling. It's hard at any age to understand that you are not the person you thought you were, because of course you are. I was still Elizabeth Butler. I still had the same parents and aunts and uncles. This was still my family. But I didn't have their eyes or their straight hair. I didn't have their quirks and instincts. I knew that. I always knew that. They lied to me. They did worse things than lied to me. They lied and then made me believe I was the crazy one. Just look, Elizabeth, here's your birth certificate. Now you can stop this nonsense. Lie, lie, lie. So now, whatever seed had been planted when I was at the vulnerable age of 10 had a new flower, and it wasn't pretty. It was rotting. Who was the missing link? Would she look just like me? Would she have my dark hair and blue eyes? Would she understand my feelings? That was the new focus. I had to find out more about her. Why did she give me up? What was happening in her life? Was she looking for me? My God, she might have been looking for me. How would I know? There was no one to talk to about this. No one to help me. This was the elephant in the room that no one spoke of. I often wondered if it made my mother withdraw from me even more than she did before. Now, maybe, I was dangerous. When would I confront her about this? I have no idea how she felt about it. She never came to me. Thus began a horrible year. Many years later, I had the chance to talk with Lydia in between juggling lives, careers, and children. We caught up a little and made the obligatory plans to get together next time we were in the same town. She ended the phone call by revealing to me that for years after I found out I was adopted, she carried great guilt with her. She felt that she had pushed me into confronting my parents and had no idea that the truth would spin me out of control into a full-blown identity crisis. I was surprised to hear this, and I tried to absolve her of any guilt. I was already in the midst of an identity crisis, I told her. The spiral was inevitable. Chapter 14 Cry for Help I was 15. I just had my world turned upside down. Everything I knew about myself changed. I wasn't who I was told I was. I was from someplace else. I was different. 
I knew it. I wanted answers and I couldn't get them. I was scared of what they might reveal. I kept the painful feelings buried. My grades began slipping and my friendships shifting. I was unsure of myself. This was a pressure I did not know how to handle. I was 15. I was a freshman in high school, still at the same elite little private school I had always attended. I was desperate to get away from the same 20 or so students I had known and been in a class with since I was in kindergarten. I wanted a fresh start somewhere else. I wanted to be around people who didn't know me, who did not know that this girl was a joke or that she had been lied to about who she was. I was tired of feeling that everyone had conspired against me to keep this secret, that everyone had betrayed me. I wanted to shed the skin of that pathetic girl and let a new one grow, to reinvent myself without secrets. I was beginning to lose myself. I pleaded with my family to allow me to leave my school and go to the large public high school in town. The public school had a theater department and a choral department. I could actually take classes and study the things I loved. I could have a place to release the screams that threatened to leak out of my mouth as I was losing the ability to hold them in. It took me a full year, a tour of the other school, and a meeting with the principal to convince my parents to let me do this. I entered Wando High School as a sophomore, so excited for my fresh start. I thought that was all I needed. I was doing the only thing I knew to do, the action I was raised to do, pack up all the ugly feelings and pretend they do not exist. I was 16. It was summer. I was home more and things were tense. I was not in a good place with my mother, who didn't know what to do with her damaged teenage daughter. I had no escapes. So many friends were away at camp or with their families on vacation. I just felt alone and sad. I tried to be gone all the time to escape, but I couldn't get far enough away. I went for long drives, which didn't help. I felt like a lion in a cage trapped behind bars and dreaming of the great savannah. I was restless. I sat alone in my room, reading the stories of other teenage girls' anxieties in my teen fashion magazines. I found myself particularly drawn to the stories of girls who had tried to hurt themselves. How could anyone do that? I know exactly why they do it. I know exactly why they do it. I know what that darkness feels like when it creeps up behind you, dragging its shadowy fingers up your back and onto your head, squeezing tightly the weight of it crushing you. It talks to you in a sweet language. You are hurting, but I can help you make it stop anytime. Drive faster. One quick turn of the wheel and you're in that tree. It's done. And won't they just be sorry that they didn't listen to you? They will cry and tear at their clothing and beg for another chance. Or will they? Will they just be relieved? Won't you? All these emotions sat deep inside me. I could feel them trying to get out, pressing against my skull as if a balloon were being blown up inside my brain. I fought with my parents. The arguments came fast and easy these days. We were at an impasse, me craving more freedom, them trying everything to contain me. We had a stupid argument, the details of which are not important, but the result was that I was grounded. In one heated moment, I had lost my only escape. 
One of the reasons I was in trouble was because my parents did not like the crowd I was hanging with. This caused our biggest fight of that summer, as I tried to explain they were really great kids. As an adult, I have often taken great pleasure in bringing up the names of these kids and mentioning their accomplishments. Nurse, respected artist, a long-standing member of the South Carolina State House of Representatives. I spent hours in my room angry, sad and angry, hurt and angry. I wanted desperately to stop those feelings. The bottle of pills that I took did not stop them. It made things worse. It was a horrible scene. I started to get sick. This was not just falling asleep and never waking up. This was ugly and painful, and I got scared. I called my friend Molly to come help me, save me. I wasn't sure what I thought would happen. I was hoping maybe she could sneak me out of the house and I could go somewhere and get better, walk around and drink lots of coffee like they do in the movies. No one will ever have to know how stupid I was. Her red Toyota screeched into my driveway. So much for sneaking. There was lots of screeching in the driveway that day. That's my fault, was all I could think. I heard the urgency of the back doorbell ringing. I could hear the heightened voice of Molly, but not just her. My other friends, too. My God, what had I done? My parents broke down the door to find me in the room, and Daddy screamed at my brother to run to his pharmacy and get something for me. More screeching. Wow, Jonathan loves me. He's really running out of here. I remember thinking that. Dad dragged me into the bathroom. What did you take? What did you take? What have you done? His voice was so high-pitched, so panicked. He stuck his fingers down my throat, trying to make me vomit. Mom screamed at my friends to get out, more screeching, too much screaming. Jonathan returned, and I drank something that made me throw up the rest of the day. I remember lying on the cold tile of the bathroom floor, weak from vomiting, the room spinning. It took all the strength I had to sit up and expel the contents of my stomach into the toilet and not all over myself. No doctor was called. This was taken care of in private. I remember my ears ringing. I was back in my bed and my father came to check on me, but I couldn't hear him. He said something and then he turned his back to me, leaned on my doorframe, racked with sobs that I could see, but couldn't hear. At that moment, I was so grateful I couldn't hear. I stayed in bed for two days. My father came in frequently to make sure I was still breathing. My mother came in infrequently. I didn't see my brother at all. I've never spoken of this day with him, ever. Chapter 15 Lighthouse I have always thought of my brother as a human lighthouse, stalwart on an island, towering above us all, his beam of light sweeping over the world around him. If you were lucky enough to have that beam of light land on you, it was warm and inviting like rays of sunshine. You had his undivided attention and it was amazing. If that beam passed over you, you might as well be invisible. Jonathan became an increasingly private person as he got older, so I learned to embrace those moments in the light for as long as I could. He had his friends. He had his hobbies. He did not seem to need us for emotional support. He was quick-tempered like his mother and easily aggravated. 
If you pushed too hard for his attention, he snapped. I learned to wait for the light to sweep back around and was smart enough to enjoy it. I learned his facial cues. If you tried to talk to him and he just nodded while you spoke, stop talking. He's not there with you. But if you spoke and his eyebrows rose quickly up into his hairline, keep going. You got him. Hold on. He's with you. I don't think mom ever figured that out. And there was a year filled with lots of yelling and door slamming and one very memorable, you can go to hell. I was nine. I was sitting in the corner of the landing of our staircase with my coloring books. I liked to sit and color there because I could feel the pulse of the entire house around me. The kitchen was behind me. The front door was directly in front of me. The upstairs was fully visible through the spindles of the railing that exposed the second-story hallway. I could see or hear everything that might be going on. I was there, surrounded by coloring books and boxes of crayons, perfecting a drawing when I heard the worst fight break out between Jonathan and Mom in the kitchen. I pressed my ear to the wall behind me to hear them better, to see what all the fussing was about. The loud vibrations tickled my ear. Yelling was a unique sound in our house. It scared me and rattled the little world I was living in. Jonathan came storming up the stairs past me, scattering my crayons, creating chaos in my coloring world. I had to pull my legs away to avoid being trampled by Mom, hot on his trail, trying to swat at him with a yellow kitchen rag. Yell, slam, yell. She demanded that he come out of the room. Silence. The loudest silence I had yet to encounter. I froze in the corner. I was in awe of this amazing show of emotion. I didn't know how I was supposed to react to raised voices in my house. Mom turned to me. My eyes were wide with wonder at the spectacle. I thought she was waiting for me to say something. I didn't know what to say, so I blurted out the first thing that popped into my head. When will I be old enough to talk to you that way? I just innocently asked, having no idea of the mistake I had just made. She marched down the stairs to the landing, the yellow kitchen towel wrapped up between her hands, and bent down so that her nose was almost level with mine. She smelled like the chicken dinner she was making and the pink lipstick that was ever present on her mouth. Never! She yelled in my face, her anger causing... Never! She yelled in my face, her anger causing her voice to shake. I jerked my head back and hit the wall, hard. It hurt but I wouldn't let it show until she had descended the stairs and retreated to the kitchen. From that point on, I learned to keep my head down and away from the conflict between Mom and my brother. Jonathan avoided her well and was satisfied behind the locked door to his room, content to work on his projects and handle his own affairs. By locking that door, he not only escaped conflict with her or my father, he locked me out too. I was collateral damage in the war they quietly waged from that day forward. His island lighthouse drifting further into the mists where voices only filter in as distorted noises easily ignored. His lighthouse beam should have been there for me, showing me where the rocks were hidden. He should have been my ally and my hero in my search for answers. I should have been able to go to him and get the truth and be guided gently into the harbor, learning the secret that my parents were keeping from me. But our mother had done too good a job of raising us. There were things you did not talk about. 
things that were private, even within the halls of Toothacre. We kept our secrets. Jonathan didn't even know I needed his help. His beam had not yet found me. Our bedrooms shared a wall, but we could not have lived further apart. Eventually, my brother grew into the successful businessman my parents had always dreamed he would be. He married and had three boys of his own. However, my brother's oldest child struggled as a teen to find his place in the world. In so many ways, I saw my own struggles in him and wished I were closer to my brother and his family so I could have been the kindred spirit my nephew needed. One day, I was speaking with my brother's wife, who was equally frustrated with their son and my brother's lack of hands-on discipline. He's so afraid that if we are too tough on our son, he might try to kill himself or something, she said, her hands thrown up in defeat. Shocked into silence, I thought, that's my fault. Chapter 16. Send in the Clowns. Two days after my attempted suicide, my cry for help, I was summoned into the family den. It was a beautiful summer day. The den was filled with morning light, and the hum of our neighbor's lawnmower purred outside the windows, reminding me that life was moving along just fine everywhere else. I sat across from my parents' unified front on the scratchy wool plaid sofa. My parents told me that we needed to talk. While I couldn't agree more, part of me didn't want to. I felt so stupid for the mess I had caused, and I just wanted it to go away. I didn't know how to deal with everything that was happening to me. I didn't know where to start. We had never done this before. Talk. I had lived my entire life never discussing anything important with my parents outside of how I was performing in school. So, now, we were supposed to be able to sit in the den and talk about what just happened and dig up some real emotion? Good luck with that. Fortunately, unfortunately, I had left a note before my attempt, so we had a template of sorts. Basically, I felt I was the fourth wheel in the family. I felt that my parents favored my brother. I believed that without me, they would have the family they wanted. I know where that note is. I stumbled across it one day when I was in my late 20s, looking for a handkerchief for my mother to carry in her purse to a funeral we were attending. There it was, in the back of the drawer. It was folded up small, like a note a schoolgirl would pass in a classroom. It was written on paper from a spiral-bound notebook, and the rough edges peeked out from the folds. I couldn't believe it was there. It still existed. I wanted so badly to take it. I wanted to destroy it. I wanted to erase any evidence of that horrible day from the earth. I left it behind, too afraid of it and the girl who wrote it. I imagine it's still there. Mom never threw anything away. I imagine that one day I will clean out that drawer when she's no longer using it. I can deal with it then. Maybe I can love the girl who wrote it. Forgive her. And finally, let her go. This note, the anguished writings of a broken girl that will forever haunt me and torment my parents, also explained that I simply longed for information about who my birth mother was. 
I wanted to know if they knew her. I wanted them to find out why she didn't want me. For the first time, they were honest. They didn't know who my birth mother was. I was adopted through the state, and the records were sealed. I didn't believe them at first. I didn't trust them. Why should I? All they had ever done was lie to me about this. Lie, lie, lie. So I told them I didn't believe them. What did the state have to do with it? In my naivete, I always imagined a black market scenario. In my mind, a small-town doctor was looking out for his young patient. She was from a high-brow family, a socialite, debutante. Her family would never approve of the boy she had fallen in love with. Maybe he was from the other side of town. She was scared. She had to give her baby away and keep her secret forever. She turned to the small-town doctor. I should have known better. My parents would never do anything shady or unusual. Of course, they would follow the rules and get me through proper channels. That news hit me very hard. Sealed. How could the records be sealed? How do you unseal them? My father was the one who talked the entire time. Mom sat by him stoically, her gaze hard on me. It was as if she didn't know who was sitting across from her. He told me that after Mom had my brother, she couldn't have any more children, but he had always wanted a little girl. He went on to tell me that not only were they waiting for a girl, they had turned down the first female child they were offered. She likely had a heart condition and was going to need some watching and some tests. That was too much for Mom to bear, so they passed and waited for me. That was supposed to be the part where I felt special and wanted. I thought the, we didn't just have you, we chose you, cliche. Dad told me that while I was outside being met by my Aunt Elizabeth and Jonathan, they were given a small amount of information about my birth parents. My birth mother was from a city in upstate South Carolina. My mind was already worrying, committing to memory these words that I would replay over and over for so many years to come. She had had an affair with her boss and didn't want the baby, ouch, and gave me up for adoption. Her embarrassed family sent her to Charleston and the Florence Crittenden home, which housed unwed mothers. She had me and named me Janet and surrendered me to the state. As far as they knew, she never laid eyes on me. Wait, I was Janet? I had a name? And it was Janet? She gave me a name? Or did she? Or was I named like a hurricane? Hey, what, what's next on the list? Or was it like the dog pound? Like, hey, what should we call this one? How about Frisky? She named me Janet after her friend's older sister. She thought that girl was so beautiful, and she wanted me to have a beautiful girl's name. Simple and straightforward, the seed of doubt that I had planted in my heart all those years earlier sprang to life again, nourished by just a little more information that could send my imagination spiraling. An affair? An affair. He must have been older, but very charming. She must have been beautiful, too. Too beautiful to resist. Was he a married man? Was her pregnancy a complication that would ruin his well-appointed life? Maybe she never told him. Maybe she ran away. How could I find out? I asked them why they never told me, especially when I had been asking for years. They said they did tell me when I was very young and I developed a stutter. They spoke to their family doctor and decided I was disturbed by this information. It was harmful for me to know, so they chose never to speak of it again. Okay, let's just stop this right here. We all know people who were adopted and spent their entire lives aware of the situation without developing a tick. 
So I was so traumatized by this information at a tender age that I started to randomly stutter. How on earth was this news delivered to me that it would take such an emotional toll? This should be a joyous coming together of a loving family. Now, Elizabeth, they might have sat next to me on the bed, tucking me in for a cozy night's sleep. Instead of our usual reading of Mr. Happy Bunny Makes a Friend, we have decided to share some news with you. They look at each other and nod. You tell her, dear, my mother might have said, patting Daddy's hand anxiously. Well, little lady, you see, we're not your real parents. Your real mother got herself in the family way and didn't want you. So she gave you away, and then we decided you could live with us. Yes, dear, my mother would nod excitedly. So that's why we don't really look like you or anything. That's exactly right, little mama. Dad smiles proudly. And now here's a clown to act it all out for you in interpretive dance. Come on in, twisty. About this time, my pacifier hits the ground. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I begin screaming and crying and probably wet myself. Oh, dear, they exclaim. We will ask the doctor for his professional opinion. Later, at the doctor's. Oh, I say, I say, fat southern small town doctor, who weirdly sounds like Foghorn Leghorn, says, I say we have ourselves here a problem. You have traumatized this poe child. I look up at him, drooling. Oh, doctor, what will we do? My parents fret. Not to worry. You just never speak of it again. She'll forget all about it and everything will be fine. He tickles me under the chin, avoiding the dripping spittle. Isn't that right, little girl? Goo, 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 I say. Oh, what a relief, says mom. But doctor, what if she remembers and she asks about it? Dad asks. Oh, for God's sakes, man, lie about it. That's the key to protecting her mental health. Lie. This was the height of wasp behavior. Just ignore it, lie about it, and it will go away. But now it was suggested that I go talk to someone about this. Really? That was actually good and bad news for me. I wanted help, but the catch was, I didn't really know how to talk about my feelings to anyone older than me. This would be tricky. Where would we find this person? It turned out they wanted me to see the minister at our church. That was surprising. These very private people were going to let someone into their very private life. Looking back, that had to be a hard call for my father to make, even more for my mother. Her biggest worry was, what will everybody think? I went the very next week.